Well, we have a guest speaker today, but not really. He's family. And uh, he told me that once upon a time, he didn't like being called grandpa because it was an indication that his hair was turning gray and he was getting older. But he said, you know what? I don't mind being called grandpa. I'm a grandfather. Uh, but in many ways, Pastor Glenn Forsberg and, and Lois, they are grandparents in the father's house uh, because they are our lead pastor's pastor. And so uh, Pastor Greg served under uh, Pastor Glenn and Lois for seven years in Fort McMurray. And uh, I love seeing the way that Pastor Greg honors and loves and cherishes the relationship that he has with his pastor, Pastor Glenn. And so Grandpa's home. Grandpa's here for a visit. And we're excited to have him. And so Pastor Glenn, why don't you come up? Church family, honor the man of God. Give him a hand. It is so good to have him. <laughs> And we're excited for the word. It's always a good word that God places in Pastor Glenn. So thank you so much for being here. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Peter. Amen. What a wonderful name. <laughs> Peter, I'm one that was very close to Jesus, and I know you. this Peter is as well. Praise the Lord. Wasn't that a great presentation by the children singing the national anthem here today? What a blessing. Amen. These boys and girls, every one of their lives are so precious and I'm so glad to see them being a part of the Christian school here and a part of this church and being able to lead us in the, in the national anthem. I have uh, the privilege and the honor of, um, from day one, when Pastor Greg and Betty came to Fort McMurray, to be uh, asked to be, uh, what, an elder at large or some kind of wandering director or something like that that works together with the church. And as a result, um, the... Um, the uh, ministrator here, uh, Kate, is able to share things with me, uh, as, as she does with the staff here, reports on what's happening um, with the Father's house. And uh, I just happened to have a quick look uh, before I came here today on, on the latest news. And here's some of the things that were reported regarding the Father's house. Uh, Pastor Matt took the discipleship students to the Daystar Church in Leduc, and there was a powerful Holy Spirit day there, Matt, and a number of people were filled with the Holy Spirit and came back with a new sense of passion for the Lord. Pastor Matty received an email from, from the town at Bon Accord. How can we help support your youth in the community? Wow. And Kate says, worship on Sunday was engaging. The great presence of God was here. Pastor Greg says 50 to 60 people have signed up for Holy Spirit Saturday, which was yesterday, right? Is that right? Wonderful. And uh, so excited about that. Pastor Peter says positive feedback from the Crazy Science concert. And uh, all of these things, and this is what your staff is sharing with each other and giving thanks to God for. This, folks, to me, is a sign of tremendous spiritual health in your church leadership and who work together in harmony and unity like that and are celebrating the goodness and, and the grace of God. Amen. And so the Lord bless you as you celebrate uh, what he's doing in your community. Remembrance Day is always a very special day uh, in our lives. I remember years ago when I was a young person, I don't remember churches participating uh, in Remembrance Day like we are today. Your presentation and honor of our veterans and people that have lost their lives was absolutely phenomenal this morning. The Lord bless you for, for sharing that. And, uh, and just to give us a little bit of an update on, um, 
on where, um, on the last two great wars. And of course, there have been many, many wars since. But uh, in the last two great wars, I think you have the, the slide there, uh, 40 million military and civilian people died in World War I. 23 million were wounded. 650,000 Canadian soldiers fought in World War I, and among them, 66,000 gave their lives. 10% of them that went over gave their lives. And uh, people of the day listed this war as the bloodiest war in modern history. It was titled back then, The War to End All Wars. And at the end of First World War, there was a hope in the world that never, ever again would we see this happen. Historians tell us today that the First World War actually never really ended. It continued on underground through the next uh, 10 years or so. And then in, in, uh, in uh, 1939, World War II broke out, which was worse than World War I in terms of casualties. And in World War II, well, first of all, World War I, in, in calling it the war to end all wars, decided to have an Armistice Day to celebrate Armistice Day. So they met together um, and, uh, and declared the war to end on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month uh, in 1918. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the war to end all wars. And today, we stand in honor of thousands of Canadians who died to defeat the enemy. And, uh, and the enemy wasn't simply people the enemy was ideology. The enemy was attitude. The enemy was discrimination. All of those things that caused Adolf Hitler to do what he did in the Second World War. And the whole world gathered together uh, against that thing and to this day. Um, Abraham Lincoln, <clears throat> way back in his time, in the 1700s, he said this, uh, somebody asked the question, whose side is God on? And so during the U.S. Civil War, Lincoln saw or met with a group of ministers for a prayer breakfast. Lincoln was not a churchgoer, and, uh, but was a man of deep and if at times unorthodox faith. At one point, one of the ministers said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. Lincoln's response was this, no gentlemen, let us pray that we are on God's side. What an incredible word of wisdom. Lincoln remained uh, those ministers or reminded those ministers that religion is not a tool by which we get God to do our will, but an invitation to open ourselves to being and doing what God wants. Wow. So, Father, we pray today that you'll help us as we uh, segue into the message today, that we might have the mind of God and the understanding of God. And Lord, that we will know that we are with you because of a vital, intelligent, heartfelt decision to become followers of Jesus Christ, to become children of the Heavenly Father, and to honor you, Lord, as the Godhead over our country and over our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad we're here together today. <laughs> we are in 
because he has called us in. Amen? We belong. We belong to God. We belong to one another. And we belong to truth. Bless the Lord. So the question is, after what we shared, what did the warriors of World War I and World War II fight for? What kind of Canada did they fight for back in those early days? And, um, and if you can remember, some of you can, some of you can't because you weren't there in the days following World War I, World War II, um, these men and women fought for a Canada that honored God. They fought for a Canada that believed in the freedoms. They believed in wholesome values. They fought for a land where school students saluted the flag, sang the anthem, and portrayed the Lord's Prayer in the morning before they went to their study of the three R's. They fought for a nation that included biblical references in the public square. They fought for peace that was inscribed on the Peace Tower in Ottawa, and it is till this day. And here's what's written on the Peace Tower. The east window, quoted from Psalm 72, he shall have dominion from sea to the sea, meaning that the Lord, the request was that God would have dominion over this nation. The south window, give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. Psalm 72, again. The west window, where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29, verse 18. These are indelibly inscribed upon the peace tower in our country. Our national anthem includes the phrase and a reference to God saying, God, keep our land glorious and free. Something has happened since then, folks. The Canada that we live in today is not the same Canada that we had then. And I'm not sure if we could interview one of those dying soldiers as to what the Canada, what Canada they lived for and died for, what they would say today. We cannot, we're not able to do that. But without rehearsing a list of broken values that we're facing today, you and I need to know that we have an elephant in the room that has to do with the education of our children. And some of you, together with my wife and myself, were at a seminar this past Friday in Edmonton <clears throat> where five different organizations got together to form something called One Accord. And this One Accord started in BC and they'd be, where they were able to come together and sign their name onto 14 articles of One Accord. You can go on your website and just dial in one, or in, pardon me, the word in, then, the, then Roman number one, and then accord.ca, I believe it is. And you can read those articles of, of faith, which um, 200 ministers and friends in lower mainland of British Columbia got together over several weeks of fasting and prayer, 21 days of fasting and prayer, and then several weeks of praying together and discussing together came up with this statement of faith in response to the liberal agenda of our day. It was powerful. It was absolutely powerful. As Lois and I drove home Friday evening from that seminar, we drove home with heavy hearts because of what we heard is reality and fact uh, coming from the Minister of Education today in regards to the training of school, where Christian schools today are being asked to delete the Bible and, uh, and to back away from anything that is discriminatory in their, in their language. Even the word truth is being asked to be deleted from 
from some of their curriculum because it is divisive, because there's a truth then and there's a non-truth, and we don't want any of that in our society. So this is the world we're facing today, and folks, this is serious enough to attract the attention of everybody here in this room and in this city and in this province. And it doesn't matter whether you are a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Sikh or an atheist. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you have got to be informed. You've got to be concerned about what is happening because one of the things that's happening is the, uh, is the, um, the secrecy laws that will hold uh, secrets between students and their teachers that are not allowed to be spoken to the parents. So what's happening then is there is a, a government institution that's standing coming between the father and the mother and their children. This ought to concern you, and I'm sure it does. And so this is the reality, the elephant that's in the room right now. But Lois and I also went home with hope. We went home with hope because we saw a whole bunch of people there who came through icy roads to get there on, on Friday morning. And we saw all kinds of cars in the ditch on the way because of the ice. But they came anyway. And, uh, and also because of the many people that I see and churches that are becoming aware of what's happening, Christian schools in the country, what's happening. And, uh, and they are saying, no, we will not bend, we will not bow, and we will not burn. <laughs> like the three Hebrews in the book of Daniel. Amen. We will stand for the truth of God's word, and we will train our children. We will pass the values on to our children that we believe are important. And, uh, and so it's important that you understand that your job as being a disciple of your children uh, is not to be passed on to another organization. You as a mother and a father, you are the prime educators of your children. Never, ever let go of that. And I pray today that as prime, prime educators of your children, that you will link up together with scores and hundreds and thousands of other people in this province. Right now, this is a provincial issue, of course, and it's in this province of Alberta. And so people in our city and our regions need to know what is happening. And, and then ask God and ask the question, what did our soldiers fight for? And what are you willing to fight for? <laughs> Amen. What are you willing to stand for in the day and the age in which you live? Now, the message of the tower says something. But Nehemiah had a message in chapter 4, verse 14. The Bible says he asked the people to come together. There was, a, there was an enemy fighting against their building of the walls and building of the temple of the city of Jerusalem. And, uh, and so the walls were being built in uh, various fashions. Some places the wall was 10 feet tall. Some places the wall was only 2 feet because they were in the process of building. And, uh, and you couldn't... Uh, and so the, 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 the lower part of the wall was the most vulnerable parts. That's where the enemy could get through. So what did Nehemiah do? He took families and he put them in the lower part of the wall. The 10-foot high wall, well, that could defend them from the enemy. But the lower part was vulnerable. So they put these families there. Now you may ask, you say, what in the world are you thinking, Nehemiah? You are taking these families and these children and moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas and putting them in the line of fire because this is the vulnerable part of the wall. And Nehemiah answers that question. It, that question isn't raised in the scriptures, but it certainly was in my mind when I read that. But he answers that question by saying this, folks, and this is not in the Bible, 
but I'm going to add it. This is not a battle about real estate. This is not a battle about the wall being built or the city being rebuilt or home rebuilt. This is a fight about your children, your grandchildren, your husbands, your wives, and your families. This is what it's all about. And you need to fight for your children. You need to fight for your husbands and your wives and your families. And, uh, and so the people did that, and guess what? They won the war, the wall was built, the city was built, and, um, and it was supported by a, a pagan king by the name of Cyrus who provided manpower and money power to rebuild the city of Jewish people. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. You never can tell what quarter God's army will come from. Amen. And so you can read that in, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Now, uh, let's look at, let's look at uh, the freedoms that we have. Our Constitution of Canada begins with these words. Whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And the principles, the principles are included in the freedoms. Now, way back in the 60s, in 1960, Prime Minister Diefenbaker cobbled together the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights was a wonderful document, but it had no teeth to it. It had no legal support. And so in 1982, uh, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau brought home the Constitution, remember, from England, and we had our own Constitution. And in that Constitution, they included the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so the Charter of Rights and Freedoms was made part of the Constitution, a document which cannot be changed by either the federal government alone or a provincial government or any single individual official. It has to have the support and the consensus of the provinces and the federal government and the people. So it's very, very difficult to change the Constitution. But now the Charter of Rights is not by itself. It's included in the Constitution. And here's what the Charter of Rights says. The Charter of Rights says everyone has the following fundamental freedoms. Number one, the freedom of conscience and religion. You have the freedom in Canada to espouse any religion you want to. You can become a Hindu or a Sikh or a Muslim or an atheist or a Christian. That's up to you. That's the freedom. Isn't that wonderful? I think this is a great freedom. And the freedom for us means freedom for others as well, other religions. And so, and then the second statement is the freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including the freedom of the press and other media of communication. Freedom of expression, freedom of thought. Your thoughts are sacred. You are allowed to think whatever you want to think, right? That's freedom. Number three, the freedom of peaceful assembly. Like here today, we have the freedom of gathering together. Nobody can legally come and say, you can't do this. And the last one, the freedom of association. All of those freedoms are given to every Canadian. Now, if you look at what's happening today, today with uh, the educational changes that are happening in our province, many of them break these freedoms. They do. And uh, with impunity. It doesn't seem like anybody is holding back or anybody is there to say, you can't do this. It's, it's happening right before our faces. So that causes a real constitutional issue. And our constitutional lawyer, 
John Carpe in Calgary is actually uh, foisting a, a, an appeal to the judgment that happened in June when, uh, when he brought a, an appeal or a, a disposition to the court saying that Bill 24 of the current government is unconstitutional, and it is, but it got thrown out because of technicalities. So they're doing it again as an appeal, and it's going to be heard in the month of December. And so pray for that, that uh, righteousness will reign and uh, the rule of law will reign in, in, in that activity that is happening. And so that's a little bit, folks, of where we are. Now, how do we respond to that? You can be heart sick. And some people say, I've had people tell me, Glenn, I'm looking for an island in the Pacific Ocean where I can take my kids and grandkids and go and live over there. <laughs> I, I, I'm scared to death of what's happening in my country. And, I'm, and, I, and we don't know where it's going to lead. Because this is not just Alberta. It's many, many other provinces, BC, Ontario. And um, though they have a new government in Ontario that's of a different mind, uh, but they still have to deal with what has happened. And so there's, there's all of these questions. So how do we answer this? How do we deal with this? There's a man in the Bible by the name of Solomon who, uh, who faced similar issues. And he was not only concerned about the present, but he was concerned about the future. And so he prayed to God in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And if you've got your Bibles, you may want to read along. Verse 24. When you're, and Solomon now is talking to God, okay? He's talking to God while he's building a temple. Now his temple is way different than Nehemiah's temple, <laughs> okay? This is later on. And, uh, and this temple is, is a massive, is uh, ornate with all kinds of gold and so on. And so Solomon says, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you. Solomon is owning up to the fact that the reason that we're in the pickle we're in is because we've sinned against God. That's what he's saying. And he said, I know our people. I know the people I rule. They're going to sin against you again, Lord. He's saying that. And when that happens, and when they turn back and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple, then God, will you hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your people and bring them back to the land you gave to their ancestors? Lord, would you be so kind as when our people suffer default and failure in the future that there will be some way of finding their way back to God? that they will not be lost forever. There'll be a redemption. There'll be a pathway to reconciliation. What a, what a leader this man is. He anticipated the problem, and he's asking God to help them when they face it. Wow. Incredible. Then he went on to say, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward the place and give praise to your name, and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them. Then hear from heaven, God, and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live. Send rain on the land that you gave to your people for an inheritance. So there's chapter 6, Solomon's prayer. Now chapter 7, and we come to that very famous verse that all of us have heard many, many times. If my people are a call by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and pray 
okay? <laughs> and the list goes on. Before we get there, Solomon prays this. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and he had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord, the Lord appeared to him at night. Oh, hallelujah. How many know God can appear to kings in the nighttime? Amen. Lord, appear to our prime minister. Appear to our premier. Appear to our minister of education. Appear to our public servants. I take my hat off to anybody that's willing to be a public servant. It's not an easy task. It's a challenging issue. And the Bible teaches us to pray for those that rule over us. Pray for those that are in positions of political power. We're to pray for them. But Lord, could they hear from you in the nighttime? Yes, I believe God can do this again. Amen? That he can speak in the nighttime to the leaders in our, in our nation. And And he goes on to say this. I have heard your prayer. God says now, answering Nehemiah, or pardon me, Solomon. I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifices. Wow. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or I command locusts to devour the land, or I send a plague among my people. Okay, so God is saying, yeah, it's possible that this could happen again. The rain could stop. There would be famine in the land, animals dying, and so on. He said, when that happens, when that happens, in answer to your prayer, Solomon, from chapter 6, in answer to your request, whether God will be there even after his people sin, whether God will still have a way of redeeming people after things go wrong, this is my answer, Solomon. If my people, now you know a lot of us say, okay, you know, we are church people. We go to church, we pray, we believe God. You know, it's those bad people out there that have got to get right with God. It's those bad people out there that got to really, you know, repent and get right with God. God is saying to Solomon, if my people, us, we who are here today, who claim to be followers of Christ, you say, how can we be my people any more than anybody else? is God's people. Yes, in a way, you're right. All of humanity are God's people by creation. God created humanity, right? He creates humans. By creation, all human beings are His. But by relationship, only a few. Most people in our world have not chosen to worship God, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. They've chosen idols and other things and, uh, uh, or other made-up gods. I shouldn't say most people, but many people. By the way, the, the, the Muslim religion and the Christian religion are the two most uh, popular, if I can say it that way, religions in the world, with Christianity being a little bit ahead of Islam, uh, but Islam is growing very quickly. Uh, Christianity, I think, is... Um, um, I better not requote it. But anyway, it's significant numbers <laughs> uh, of people in our world. And so, but who really is God's children? Only God and that individual knows, right? We cannot point and say, well, I know. We're not the judge. 
We can't judge people and say, well, this guy's a Christian because, and this gal's a Christian, not a Christian, because <laughs> you're not the judge. You only see the tip of the iceberg. God sees the heart. He knows what's inside. Amen? And so if all the believers, all the followers of God in the world today would, who are called by his name, would humble ourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. You say God's people have wicked ways? Certainly. There are many people that, you know, you know all of us have done wicked things. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, both before Christ and since Christ. <laughs> since Jesus came into your life, have you ever sinned? Yes, I have. And thank God, the Lord says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me. Amen. I don't need to wallow in my mire. <laughs> There's a way out of it. So, and so, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, okay, and will seek and turn from their wicked ways and uh, seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. God will hear the prayer of repentance. God will save us from our sins, and God will heal our land. I have a dear friend, Pastor Roger Armbruster from Manitoba. He has a, a, a ministry called uh, Canada Awakening. You can go online and find it. And he's a wonderful man. I've known him for years, since 1975 when we first met. And he is called to the Aboriginal peoples of Canada. And um, so among the natives, uh, First Nations people in southern Canada, and the Inuit people in the Arctic. And he spends considerable time uh, in there and, uh, and doing incredible work. But he was telling me recently, I just got his letter, and he said, Glenn, he was a Nunavik. On the, on the west side of Hudson Bay is Nunavut. On the east side in the northern part of Quebec is Nunavik. And, uh, and if you saw the transformational videos that were circulating about 15 years ago, something like that, you will have seen one of the revivals that happened in the world in Nunavut. Incredible. A similar revival took place now in Nunavik. What happened? These people took 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 7.14 to heart. And they called the church and the country to prayer. The, uh, not the prime minister, but the leader, whatever it is, of Nunavik. And... Uh, and the school teachers and, and all the government officials and all the people to fast and pray and to seek God. And they did. Now, Nunavik has experienced economic poverty in the last number of years. And they have experienced tremendous needs uh, because of a lack of food. Uh, they used to have caribou. Caribou haven't come for years. Uh, there used to be berries on the ground. The berries haven't grown. Uh, the whales and the fish that were in the sea in the Hudson Bay weren't there. As a result, these people were, had lost their traditional food and were in dire straits. And also, there was a tremendous uh, level of drug ab abuse and suicide in this, in this whole country. Well, these people called the country together to prayer. And guess what's happening? The caribou have come back. The berries are growing. Suicide is going down. Public figures are proclaiming the name of God in the public square. It, it is a phenomenal story that is happening right under your nose right now in Nunavik. 
Guess what? Second Chronicles 7.14 works. If my people who are called by my name. Amen. And you know, I asked the worship team if they would come back again in just a moment and sing that song again. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Could we do that, worship team? And just lead us softly in that song while we come to the close of this message today and we pray and seek God. I want to fast forward us now, the final part of this message, to the New Testament. And uh, the man named Jesus of Nazareth volunteered to offer himself as the New Testament David fighting against the New Testament Goliath of sin and destruction once for all. You may have witnessed a movie called The Passion of Christ. It's very difficult to look at because of the beating of Christ at the whipping post. I can't watch it. It's incredible. But it's a very, very, I think, very true story of how it may have happened. And incredible. It was the most horrible injustice of history. The only perfect man who ever lived being crucified by imperfect people because he didn't follow their imperfect religion. It was unbelievable. But Jesus said, this is why I've come. I've come that people might have life. I've come to give my life on the cross. I've come to die on the cross. He, he forecasted that with his disciples many times. He said, I'm going to die on the cross. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. Whew, went right over their heads. None of them could compute that. And so as a result, they thought he must be speaking in parables. So when Jesus actually was dying on the cross, they all ran away and hid. They said, this is the end of the world. We're, we're finished, folks. Game's over. We thought he was the Messiah. Obviously, he's not. He's dying. Jesus had already told them what was going to happen, but they wouldn't believe it. And now on the third day, he rises again. The women come and tell the disciples, he's risen. Oh, no. You women have, you know, you know, eaten too much something. <laughs> uh, this can't be true. And finally, Peter and John go and look at the tomb and find out it's empty. And finally, they meet Jesus, who lives with them for 40 days after his resurrection and teaches them about, about the kingdom of God. Amen. And as he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, they say, Jesus, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, when will you kick out the Romans, get rid of Herod, and give us a nice Jewish government back, and we'd like you for our prime minister? Jesus said, yeah, that's not for you to know. My father's got that figured out. That's small potatoes. But here's the big deal. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my ambassadors. You will be my witnesses of the real kingdom of eternity. A kingdom that's greater than any political kingdom on the face of planet Earth is the kingdom of God, which is made up of men and women like you. Amen. So what are we saying, folks? The whole story comes full circle. You and I, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, have the authority and have the power to see the kingdom of God reign in Canada. Amen. And we need to believe that with all of our hearts. Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Where? On earth, just like it is in heaven. If that's impossible, he would not have told us to pray that way. He told us to pray that way because it's entirely possible that the kingdom of God can come to Canada. That we can see our nation revived 
amen, and renewed by the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And the last scripture is found in Colossians chapter 2. And, uh, you know, because I'm a grandpa, I can't see as well as I used to, you know. You know, I, I hated being called grandpa a few years ago, but now I kind of love it. <laughs> I've just given up to it because, yeah, I got great grandkids, you know. <laughs> I don't have great grandkids. I have wonderful grandkids. There's no great grandkids yet. <laughs> Amen. So Colossians chapter 2, it says this. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Folks, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against the minister of education or the premier. We're fighting against the spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenlies that are influencing humanity. Amen? God loves people. Amen. Doesn't matter what they believe or hold, God loves people. The people of your city are loved by God. Amen. And of our province. And he says this, In him you were circumcised and putting off the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done with hands of men, but the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God and raised from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulations and was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus wins. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and say that together. Jesus is Lord. Jesus wins. He has canceled the written code. And he has triumphed over the evils in the heavenlies. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Could we sing that? Amen. And as we do, as we sing this song together, I want to pray with some of you people here today and our prayer team, with those of you that are struggling with fear. You may be here and be afraid. You're, you're finding it, you know, keeping you awake at night. God wants to heal you from that and give you absolute confidence in the word that we've just read today. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we'd love to pray with you. Just come on down here and we're going to pray with you. If you're here today and you have family and you're seeing your family, mom and dad, you're standing on the side of the word, but your children are beginning to believe the secular humanist agenda of our province and country more than the word of God. And you're saying, I want to pray for them. You come on up here and we're going to pray for them. Let's believe God together for a breakthrough. Amen. Let's sing it together. I just want to pray right now for those of you that are here. And let's just bow our hearts in prayer right now, wherever you are. Just bow our hearts. 
we're going to look to the Father right now. You're here today, and God just spoke to my heart. I need to call, make this call to somebody here today. And you say, Glenn, I do not have peace with God. I do not know for sure whether I am forgiven, whether I am a child of God, whether I belong, but I want to know. I want to belong to Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower of Him. But I've never deliberately made that choice or that decision in my life. And I need Him and I want Him. Would you raise your hand and I want to pray with you right now where you are. Just raise your hand. Let me see it. And I want to pray with you wherever you are right now. Just put it up and put it down again. And I'll know that that's you. God is speaking to your heart. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. There is somebody here. I know that the Lord would not have prompted me that way if there was nobody. There's somebody here, and you may be too afraid to even put your hand up. God knows your heart. But I want to pray with you right now. Father, I pray for whoever it is here in this room right now who is struggling with fear, who is struggling, Lord, with identity. I don't know if I belong to God or not. I don't know if I'm ready. Should I die? Where would I go? Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that that person will open their heart to you and say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to be a follower of yours the rest of my days. Lord, deliver me from indecision. Deliver me, O oh God, from believing something that's not true, from walking down the road of, of false doctrine. God, I want to believe the truth, for you said it will set me free. I thank you for hearing in Jesus' name. Amen. As they continue to sing, you come on. Come on down here. We'll be here at the front to meet you. And Pastor Peter, if you would come and, and uh, close the service as you see fit.